Uh, good evening, everybody. Oh, man, Justice, this is even a little bit tall for me. So today, today's reading, we're going to be going over Ephesians 2, 2, or 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It should be page 827 in the Pew Bible, if I checked correctly. But first, I want to just open up with just one more prayer before we start this message. Dear Lord, God, it is, it is a blessing to just be called yours, Lord, and to understand, God, that we do have a place in heaven, not because of ourselves or because of anything that we could have provided to you, but simply because of your grace and the love that you displayed on the cross. I pray, Lord, as we go over the world, the flesh, and the devil, God, that you may do two things, Jesus. One, that you may just give us an awareness of these three, God, that we'll be able to discern these influences in our life, God, and being able to understand, Lord, that they are harmful to us. And second thing, God, Lord, to rejoice in you, Lord, that we have been set free from the captivity of all three of these, God, that, Jesus, you do set, you do set people free, Lord. You set slaves free, God, to worship you. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, that you get me out the way, get Bond out the way, and speak to the hearts of your people, that they may worship you and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So like I said, if you guys could open up to Ephesians 2, we're going over verses 1 through 10. And today we'll be going over the world, the flesh, and the devil. So to kind of give a backdrop, the reason that I chose this study to actually present today is because a lot of the time, like I said, I was going through a really rough period, and my flesh was discouraging me, the enemy was putting thoughts in my head, and then also the world was t- trying to have me buy the lie that they have obtained true peace and satisfaction apart from God. So I'm seeing all three of these forces coming into me and trying to discourage me and ultimately break me down from following Jesus intimately. And that's ultimately what led me to the study because I bet I'm not the only one who battles these things. Because if you believe in God, the devil wants to hinder you, the world thinks you're stupid, and the flesh will continue to try to war to bring you back into slavery to your own desires. So I want to start off by first clarifying what I mean by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because in scripture, the world is used several times with several different meanings. But in the, in the context in which I'm using it, I want the world to represent the fallenness of society that wants to influence and ultimately drag the Christian away to approve their sinful decisions and to, approve, to just approve their, their lifestyles. You know, oftentimes we think of things as such as abortion or you know, homosexuality, just these really controversial things, but I think it's even in the subtle details that the world is trying to have Christians compromise on. And constantly that when we stand up for it, they're quick to say, you guys are religious bigots, or you hate gay people, or, you know, it's not, it's not your body, don't tell me what I could do with my own body, and just a lot of things. And then when I mean the flesh, the flesh represents the unredeemed body and sinful desires that bound the Christian, both from the inside and out. We're bound on both sides. And we see that by death. That clearly is a clear just example of how our physical body is failing because of the fall. Death was never part of God's original plan. But because of sin, our bodies decay and naturally we die. And then we have the devil, which I hear so many like people like clarify the devil in so many different ways, but I wanted to make it very easy. I think of the devil as the original deceiver who wants to corrupt everything that brings God glory. 
He wants to take the glory that was, is meant for our God and our God alone and cast it upon himself, and he wants to be worshipped. And since he understands that his time is limited and the battle's already been won by the victory on the cross, he wants to hinder us from truly believing the promises of God and truly continuing to expand the kingdom of God. Because Jesus has already won and he knows that. But he doesn't, but he doesn't want us to know that. And so, if we don't understand the interplay between these three forces, something arises. We don't truthfully understand the sinfulness of our sin. And we don't understand the radicalness of our depravity. And that's what I want to show here as we open up to Ephesians 2. I want us to see how bound we really were to these three forces and, and glorify God for the grace that he gave in order to set us free. So verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead... Okay, I just want to stop there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, here's the world, following the prince of the power of the air, there's the devil, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, that means everyone, once lived in the passions of our flesh, there's the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Stop there too. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the miserable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, after reading that, you can just sit down. But of course, I'm not going to. <laughs> so, we understand here that Paul starts off by just giving us and recognizing the condition we were all in before Jesus. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Man, so many people want to tweak this verse, and so many theological issues come up with this, of people trying to lessen the effect of what Paul is trying to say here. Some people believe dead means sick, or dead means wounded. My Bible says dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and, and it just shows the radicalness of our depravity. There was nothing we could have done in order for us to respond to God or to come to God. We were dead spiritually. And if we understand why we're dead, we understand, one, we're dead from the inside out because of our flesh. We're following the devil. Whatever he approves, we're running after it because we are deceived internally, thinking that that's who our God is because he is the God of this world and of the air, as it says. And then thirdly, we're buying all the propaganda that the world is putting out. Unless we realize that we are hemmed in on all three sides that we don't understand the radicalness of our depravity and we don't understand the sinfulness of our sin. Because it's, it's not just the world. Some people think, okay, we just got to get out of the world. We just got to get away from the world. And we're just going to build our own colonies and then we're okay. But then you still have the flesh. And then some people say, okay, you know, if it's just the flesh, then we just got to get people to change a little bit of their habits and their lifestyle. You know, tell them to stop drinking or maybe get them in a 10-step program because then we just, we just got to have them change his lifestyle. Then some people blame everything on the devil. I got people in my family, it don't matter what it is, they'll blame it on the devil. <laughs> Everything's the devil. The devil made me do it. Man, I would have done it if it wasn't for the devil. And then you give the devil way too much credit. Or 
or instead of giving the devil way too much credit, you, you just cast him off to the side. Or some people have this view of the devil as if he's just this like thing on your shoulder, this little devil on your shoulder. Oh, he's so much bigger than that. He's so much bigger than that. So we understand that we're hemmed in on all three sides. And it's not that we're just bound on one side. We are pressed in on all three sides. We are dead three ways over. So Paul then goes to identify the forces that are causing this death. And he says, the flesh is, because we choose to sin instead of going to God, man naturally chooses sin over God. Physically, we are born in this world alive, but spiritually, we're stillborn. Psalm 51.5, David reflects, he says, my mother, I was conceived in sin. From my birth, I was conceived in this. My, when I used to, before my lifestyle, before I was Christian, my mom would always ask me, man, who is teaching you to do this stuff? No one had to teach me to do anything. I just natu- it was just natural to me. No one here taught their kids how to lie. Who sat their child down and said, okay, this is how you're going to lie? Maybe some did, but they say, don't lie to me. <laughs> but <laughs> no, no, no one teach their son how to lie, but they naturally are drawn to these tendencies. Because sin from our birth has already corrupted us. And that's so important to understand. Simply put it, we are dead, and dead means dead. Unresponsive to God. And if anything, we are against God and enmity with him. And I love what Paul goes on to say. He says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is working out in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We all were under this slavery of bondage. No Christian could say that I wasn't in the influence of all three of these, or I never was under all three of these. No, you were. Because Paul says all, oh, and he's referring to himself also. Every, every person in this world needs a savior and needs to be redeemed because every person in this world is bound. They just don't realize it. Because why? Because they can't see. They're deceived so much, and the devil has blinded them so much. The world doesn't see sin as me and you see sin. The the world sees sin as a serial killer who's killed 30 people. And they say, that's sin. That's evil. But that's not me. They don't understand the sin. They don't understand what sin really is. And even the people, even the Pharisees didn't understand the deep implications of it. And I love how Paul goes on to list everything that we were following and how without hope we were. But Paul also, in verse 4, shows us the difference maker. The difference wasn't one day you woke up and decided to be good. One day you woke up and said, man, you looked around, you said, man, you know, I'm tired of this sinful stuff. I'm I'm, I'm, going to kick the bucket and I'm just just going to die to this. No, you wouldn't. Because that's what you knew. But it says in verse 4, but God. That's it right there. God is the but. He's the X factor. He is the one that causes this transformation to come. And you didn't will yourself to be saved. You didn't try hard enough to be saved. Because you can't. You are dead. And a lot of people have this analogy that Jesus pulls up, you know, you're drowning. And Jesus says, here, throws you a life raft. And then you say, okay, I'm going to grab it because I realize my circumstances. Can I tell you something? Dead men don't grab. They do not grab. Dead men don't fight. Dead men don't try. And dead men don't live. You did not choose one day to follow God just because it was better to you. No, it's because God put that desire in you and showed you and revealed himself the sinfulness of your sin. He revealed to you how bound you really were. It's like the question about a fish. Does a fish really realize it's wet? Yeah, when you take it out of water, then it realizes how wet. Then it realizes it's wet. 
We don't realize it until our fullest, until God pulls us out of that and reveals to us how depraved we really were. And even as Christians, we struggle with understanding, man, how, how deadly is sin? Or how evil is sin? There's a quote I have here, and I love this quote by Thomas Brooke. He said, there is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest calamity. Because we understand that earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, Amos 3, 6, those things are caused by the Lord. The Lord does those things. But there's more evil in the least sin, in the least rebellion against God, than in the greatest calamity. That's how evil sin really is. So Paul says, but God being rich in mercy. And this leads me to my second point. God's driving force and why he saved you wasn't because God was like, man, you're good, bud. Like, you're, you, you deserve salvation. You deserve it. He says, no, because of his mercy. God being rich in mercy. And I love that part because I understand that, man, even when I'm redeemed, I struggle sometimes to run this race. I struggle sometimes to obey God how I should. But God is rich in mercy. And since he redeemed me from death, he will continue to renew me each and every morning. His mercies are new every morning. God's, the reason God chose you and gave you life wasn't because you were good. It's the quite opposite. He realized God knows your condition. If you lay sin and holiness to the natural man, he'll choose sin every time. When I say total depravity, I don't mean that man inherently can't do good. I mean that the, the, the things that man does, sin affects every part of his, of his life. The people who don't know God do, they could donate money to charity. They could go and go to food drives and get food. What I'm saying is sin affects every part of your life. Even your motives are corrupted. So when you give, you usually give to get recognition from people or praise from people. That's sin. That's selfishness. Or, okay, let me, let me get this stuff out of my house, but I'm not going to give them the good stuff. Give, give them the trash that's in the garage that we don't use anymore. Like, naturally, it's like, or just we're completely helpless without God. So God's driving force in saving us is because he's merciful. He's rich in mercy, abundant in mercy. Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And I love verse 7. Because even when we were, Jesus loved us even when we were dead in our sins. He loved us before we were even born. He loved Bond. He loved Peter. He loved all of us before we even breathed just our first breath of air. He loved us. And he sought us after, and he sought after us. And that's so important because he didn't just, he just, does, he just doesn't love you when you're doing good. You know, he just doesn't love you when you're checking off all the boxes and your church attendance is good and you're zealous in works and you're at every ministry and every Bible study. That doesn't make God love you more. That's important to realize. God loved you when you were dead. God loved you when you gave him no reason to love you. He loved you when you didn't do anything for him. If anything, he loved you when you were going actively against him, when you were warned against him. He still loved you. And a lot of us as Christians, we struggle with this. Does God really love me? Does God, because I sin and I've got to, God, do you really love me? And I want to tell you right now, from what my Bible says, he loved you at your worst. And he will continue to love you. And he will continue to sustain you. Because his mercy never changes. His mercies never change. His love doesn't increase. It doesn't decrease. It is perfected. And you can't add to perfection. And you can't deduct from it. Because it simply is perfection. But I love because he says, we're made, we're made alive. But what are we made alive to? Paul also says you're made, to, you're made alive together in Christ. And that's so important 
Because we weren't just raised up to life without, someone, without a shepherd or without a God or without someone to, to help us. No, we were raised together in Christ. So just how we were hemmed to the flesh, just how we were hemmed to the devil, just how we were hemmed to the world, now we're hemmed to Christ. And Christ is leading me and he's showing me each and every day the love that he has for me. Because before we were under the headship of the devil, we are under the headship of the world, and we are under the headship of the flesh. Now we're under the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to understand and reflect on our condition before Christ, and then we could praise him for who we are after. And Paul goes on to say, by grace you have been saved. And we'll pause there and unpack that. That's so important. Because you have to realize you didn't contribute anything to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary for you to be saved in the first place. That's the only thing you want to contribute. The only thing you contribute to God is the sin that made it necessary for you to be saved in the first place. We didn't contribute anything to this. And this is why I love Reformed theology. Some people ask me, Bond, why are you like, why do you believe Reformed theology? I believe Reformed theology because it shatters man's pride. It says man does not do anything inerrantly in himself. Man has no reason to boast in himself. That's why I love Reformed theology, because it, makes, it shows God and it displays God as what he is, all-powerful. And it shows man for what he really is, a grain of sand, dust to God. From dust we created and dust we shall return. Man is nothing without God. But man has bought the illusion that he is something. And often, thinks to, and often thinks falsely of who he is. And raised us up with him in Christ and seated, us, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So it's important to understand, like, we're raised up with Christ and we have a spot in the heavens. I have a seat in heaven. All the saints here have a seat in heaven. And that's so important to understand. Because I'm going to tell you, it gets real. In ministry in relationships with other Christians, relationships with other people who aren't in the body, it can get very discouraging. And then what's, what's your motive? I'm looking at my reward. I know that no matter what happens in this world, no matter if I was to die tomorrow, no matter if, if I was to lose everything, that in heaven, there's a spot for me. And I can, re- I can rest that. I can rejoice in that. I'll be seated in the heavenlies with Christ. I'll be seated with him. And I can worship him. It's all, like... And then the devil, oh, oh man, the devil ain't going to have nothing when I'm in heaven. The devil tries to remind you of your past. You know what you do? You tell the devil of his future. You remind him of his future. Shoot, your clock ticking. I got, I got this redeemed clock, though. <laughs> I, I'm, on this, I'm on this eternal flow. You know what I'm saying? He, he, his time is limited. But as Christians, we're just going from one stage of glory to the next everlasting to everlasting that's what eternal means and i love that so we're seated with him in the heavenly places verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus now we have god's motive and god's motive here is that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace I love that we serve a God who's for his own glory. I love that. I love the parts of scripture where God is exalting himself. God is the only being in the universe that could exalt himself, and it is not sin, and it is not harm to others. When God exalts himself, it is good. 
because it shows us the mighty God who we actually serve. The motive behind why God saved us was he wanted to put on full display the immeasurable riches of his grace. Because what is more graceful and what is more forgiving than raising a dead man back to life? What's more extraordinary than that? From taking a rebel man who wants to, to just go against God and God now makes him his servant. And not just his servant, but his friend. What's a better display of grace than that? And this is what Lord mean. Because what I, like my brother Willie over here knows me before I knew God. And I, oh, I don't, like, don't ask him stories about it. But, but what I'm saying is, what lured me in and what God, and what lured me into Christ was the simple fact that, man, he loved me when I was dead. He loved me enough to die for me. And not even just that, though. I hear all the saints saying that we were X this, X that, and God loved us. And that displayed God's grace to me. I was like, I can't find that in Muhammad. I can't find that in, in Buddha. I can't find that in anywhere else. I was like, this Jesus who you're talking about is giving men life. And I didn't know what life was until I knew Jesus. I thought I did. Stupid. Stupid now, but not a stupid then. So God's motive was he wanted to display his kindness in you. That's why he saved us. So we could go out into this world and we could show people and preach that we have a redeeming God. A God who takes a murderer and makes him an apostle. That's the God we serve. The God who takes Paul, a murderer of Christians, and turns him into an apostle. The same one who is bounding Christians and putting them in chains, God says, no, no, no. You come here. And you're going to write, and I'm going to inspire you, and the Holy Spirit's going to inspire you. You're going to write this, and you're going to endure all kinds of affliction for my namesake. They will hate you. They will whip you. They will stone you. But Paul understood what I'm trying to preach to you guys here, that I'm set free. I'm free. Who the Son sets free is free, and that's so beautiful. Because Paul understood, you could break my body, but you can't break my spirit no more. I'm going to go no matter what I experience in this world, and this is why Christians don't have to be fearful. If God sets you free from these three things, oh my, you're, he's not going to let you go. God didn't raise a man from death to life to say, all right, man, good luck from here on out. No. He's walking with you every single step. Every breath you take, that hymn we sing, like, it's your breath in our lungs, right? Is a gift of God's mercy and grace. You don't breathe on your own. Your heart just don't beat on its own. You don't think on it. It's all because of the grace of God. Life is the Lord's. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but is a gift of God. By grace you have been saved. And I love how Paul shows, once again, he shows it's not of your own doing. This was really hard for me to understand when I first encountered the gospel, because we're in a world that says you got to earn everything you have. I grew up in sports. I, I played basketball. you got to earn your spot. I just, I just, the coach isn't going to be like, oh, hey, Bond, come start for us. No, I had to earn it, and I had to work for it. Every paycheck that I have, I have to work for. I can't just not show up to work and expect to get paid. No, buddy, I'll see you later. You know, but, so we live in a world that constantly says you got to earn something. you got to earn your spot. you got to earn your keep. You gotta earn, you gotta earn like what other people think of you, your reputation, everything we have to earn. And this is why I think men hate God fundamentally is another thing, is because man can't earn salvation. And that drives men crazy that they can't earn salvation. 
Because I've earned everything up until this point. Everything I have, I could put my stamp on and say it's all about me. But I can't do that with God. I can't say I saved myself. I can't say that I was set free from these things. I want to, like I really do, but I can't. And that drives man crazy because the reason God saves us in the method is, is grace, unmerited favor. You don't contribute anything to your salvation, like we said before. But God, being rich in mercy, set us free. And I love that it's through faith that you are saved. Faith is powerful. Faith in God is the most gracious thing. My mom told me when I was talking on the phone with her, she's like, the thing I'm most happy about in, your, in my whole life, because I'm her only son. She's like, the one thing that I'm happy about, no matter what we went through, no matter where I was and where you was, was the fact that my son believes. She's like, that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. She's like, because God kept me, sure, sure, I dove into all these things, but God delivered me and God was taking care of me. And my mom can even take comfort in that. My mom was in Washington, D.C., way far from me. But she's like, but she took comfort in knowing when she came back, oh, that my son believes. And now everything will be okay because God is behind him. My mom might fail me. My dad might fail me. I fell. But God never fails. He never ceases to be anything except perfect, incredible, glorious, and splendid. And it's hard for us to even think that. Because like I said, we're in a world that says you have to earn everything you have and everything you put your hands on, that has to be you. But Jesus says, no, I'm the one who earned this. I, me, I'm the one who lived a sinless life. I'm the one who came into a world that hated me. I'm the one who takes the murderer. I'm the one who takes the widow. And I bring them to myself. And on that cross, I display my grace. Jesus earned it, not us. And one of the greatest travesties and one of the biggest snares that the devil has is that a man could earn his own soul. A man could redeem his own soul. And I see people going crazy, doing all sorts of things, trying to say, man, where's the rest at? Where's my, how do I get to eternity? Jesus says, faith, believe. It's not complicated. It's not a huge math equation. He made it so easy that Silas, little Silas could understand it and that theologians still ponder it with all their big words on how this, how can we even fathom this? But he just simply says, believe in me. You can't earn it, but I, I did. And Paul goes on to say in verse nine, this is not, oh, sorry, I want to go, keep going. And this is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God. And I love that. It's not your own. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift from God. Like whoever, I can tell, I've never resisted a gift in my life. Maybe you guys have. But I, I'll tell you right now, I never resist no gift in my life. I'll tell you that right now. And the thing, is, and the thing that makes a gift so heartwarming is that even if, it, even if it's cheap, even if you go buy yourself, it's the effort that someone did it for you. And it's the fact that it's free. It's a free gift of God. God's saying here, are you burned? Like, I love what Pastor P was talking about this. Months back, he's like, are you burned out on religion? Are you tired of trying to earn your stripes? Are you tired? Like, and I think of Martin Luther would spend hours in the confessions to the point where the priest would be like, okay, I got to head out. You have way too much to confess. Like, the priest is like, I'm off the clock. <laughs> I'm, I'm off the clock. You have way too much for me. But Jesus says, no, give me that. 
I take your shame, your guilt, your failures, your felt expectations, and I take it all upon myself. Not that I deserve it, because I don't deserve it. And that's what makes Jesus Jesus, that he didn't deserve it. And that's what makes him God, is that, and I can't even understand this, like, God, you didn't deserve the death you took. And he says, but it's my gift to you. My gift is eternal life. My gift is not just, and not just eternal life that's enjoyed in heaven, but I got blessings for you now. I provide peace now. I provide, I'm providing shalom to you now. Go, go and fix your relationships. The hatred you have in your heart, deal with that. Because this is what makes a believer forgive. Is because he reads passages like this that show who he was before God. And how God could forgive him, how can we not forgive each other? If God is rich in mercy to forgive me of all my sins, why am I so petty to, to not forgive someone who forgot to text me back? It just doesn't make sense. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We cover this. It's not a result of works. Why? Why isn't it works? You, so that no one may boast. We have nothing to boast about when it comes to what we did for God. I, and I'm, if I ever hear anybody like boast about, and, we, and Christians are slick about it. Don't get it twisted. Christians are slick about it. They'll go, oh, you, you won't believe how much I was in this word. You won't believe how much chapters I read this week. And it's like, and even then it's getting away from it. It's like, no, you have nothing to boast about. The reason you understand this Bible is because of the Holy Spirit. You, don't, you, you can't understand the deepest implications of this. You can't even understand really simple truths about this hard deep without the Holy Spirit. Because that's the difference, guys. This is the difference why some people could open this book and not feel a thing. I did. When I, was, when, I, when I was younger, I would go to church, I'd open the Bible. Okay, a couple words of wisdom, I'm gone. But I promise you, when the Holy Spirit entered me, it became real. Real and real fast. That I was like, this just isn't just text, this is life. Paul is writing life. So we have nothing to boast about except for the cross. And that's what we should boast about as Christians. We want to boast so much about, you know, our accolades. We want to boast so much about our position maybe in the church or, you know, my spiritual calling. We want to boast so much about the things of God rather than boasting about God. And, God's, and the cross is what we should boast about. It doesn't matter what I do for a living. It doesn't matter what, how big of a house I own. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. I promise you, because it says riches will not deliver in the day of wrath. It doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I tell you, if we believe this, if we boasted in the cross the way we boast in our own accomplishments, Ronco would be turned out. Maybe less people would steal cars. Maybe less people would feel that they would have to go commit crime or feel the guilt and shame. And maybe these little children who come from broken houses without parents would find a father in Jesus. If we boasted about the cross as much as we do about our own accolades, entitlements, and positions, all things that will pass away. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this because we weren't, we weren't just, Paul says we are his workmanship. We are his, we are God's possession. And that's powerful. You know, before we were a slave to sin, we were sold under sin, as Paul says. Now I'm sold off for Christ. Christ has, has made me his workmanship. 
And the thing is, a lot of times we feel anxiety in our life about, God, which way am I going to go? Or God, what are you doing here? Or God, what have you called me to? But I find comfort in knowing that he says, for his work of creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Everything I'm going to do for, for Jesus was prepared before I could even speak. And I don't got to be anxious about the little things. I don't got to be anxious about, you know, is our ministry going to have enough money? You know, am I going to have enough gas to go to, go to church? I don't got to be anxious about any of that because God has already prepared all the things that I shall walk in them. And he just simply tells me to walk in them. Not to run, not to sprint, not to hop my way through them, but to gently walk with him as a child does his father. Step by step, step by step. And each step we get a little closer to what God has called us to. Brothers, I just am glad that I'm able to rejoice with you guys that we're set free from all these. We're set free from the devil who wants to kill, destroy, and ruin. We're set free from the world who wants the Christian to compromise and to believe the lies of the devil because the world is influenced by the devil. And we're set free from ourselves, from our flesh. We no longer got to live the lifestyles we, we once did. And a lot of the times, we don't, we, don't, we don't believe these promises. We still hold on to the old man. I know I do sometimes. I still, when I get frustrated, I'm like, man, will I ever be able to shake this? Will I be able to get rid of this? And I start to believe the lies of the enemy. But what Jesus says, I'll set you free from all that. We don't want to tell people, you just got to bare knuckle this. You just got to bear down and try harder. No. You tell people to, you tell some people to submit. You tell them, don't try harder. Find rest. Stop it. Because we drink from the fountain that never runs dry. And that's what I want us to understand. So we rejoice, Christians, that we have been set free from these three. And we rejoice together. And knowing that whatever Park Lane will accomplish, no matter what you accomplish outside of Park Lane, it was prepared before the foundation of the world. It's prepared so you don't got to worry about it. Don't worry. Find rest. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I'm going to close with this prayer. Dear Father, I just thank you, Lord, that we're able to go over this scripture and unpack the riches that you have put in it for us. Lord, that as we reflect, maybe some of us reflect on our old lives, still feeling that guilt and shame of past decisions we made, past mistakes we made, or failed to be what we ought to be. But God, it says in your scriptures that you saved us because you were rich in mercy. And Lord, we could take comfort in your mercies today that we don't got to carry around all our failures and maybe just all the things that we did wrong this past week. But God, we could give them to you. Jesus, you're able to redeem even the most wicked man because you redeem me. And Father, I pray, Lord, that your saints will trust you and that we will understand, God, that we are never alone. And God, we were under the headship of the world, the flesh, and the devil but we have been adopted into your family and under your headship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you will continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.